The St. Crispin's Day speech is a part of William Shakespeare's history play Henry V. It appears in Act 4, Scene 3. On the eve of the Battle of Agincourt, which fell on St. Crispin's Day, Henry V urges his men, who were vastly outnumbered by the French, to recall how the English had previously inflicted great defeats upon the French. The speech has been famously portrayed by Laurence Olivier, Kenneth Branagh, and is known for having made famous the phrase Band of Brothers. The play was written in 1600, and several later writers have used parts of it in their own texts. The scene opens with several men talking about the battle that is coming, and the king has gone to see the battlefield. And while they're talking, one of them mentions how vastly outnumbered they are, specifically at a number of five to one. And the cousin of the king, Westmoreland, comments, he says, Oh, that we now had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do not work today. And unbeknownst to the men, the king has entered the scene and he says, What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. I am not covetous for gold, nor care I who doth feed upon my cost. It yearns me not if men my garments wear, such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. No, faith, my cuz, wish not a man from England. God's peace, I will not lose so great an honor, as one man more methinks would share from me for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more. Rather, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We will not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named, and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age, will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors, and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars, and say, These wounds I had on Crispian's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispin shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while Zinni speaks, 
that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. I don't remember the f- when I read Henry V. I was going to say for the first time, but it was the first and the only time. I believe it was during my deployment to Germany, um, which was around 2004. We were supposed to deploy to Iraq. That was the plan. That's what we were told. Um, a majority of my unit was reclassing, reclassifying as military police, as MPs. We were a field artillery unit. And so they were all going through training for that. Um, at the time, I was a 54 Bravo, later a 74 Delta, which was uh, a chemical decontamination specialist. And my MOS was was necessary. Like you had to have at least one of me to deploy. So I had to keep my job and I wasn't able to uh, reclassify from my job. And my job in a war setting or deployment setting is very strange. It, it was definitely more of a garrison MOS in a lot of ways. And so I spent a lot of time kind of uh, either working with a supply sergeant or being the commander's driver, <laughs> doing jobs like that. Um, and so we were preparing for that uh, kind of at the last moment. They say, you know what, instead, you guys are not going to go to Iraq. You're going to go to Germany and a unit that just got back from Iraq a few months ago is going to go back instead. And so at the time in 2004, like Iraq was a super dangerous place for American soldiers and uh, a lot of lives are being lost. And so we weren't necessarily, you know, upset or sad about it. At least I wasn't. <laughs> and, um, but I did meet uh, though when we got to Germany, I, we met the soldiers who were going to back to Iraq. And, you know, I remember feeling really bad, you know, that they were going back and weren't able to stay, you know, in Germany or stay with their families, a lot of them, you know, and such. And so, you know, just kind of that bittersweet feeling and they went and they did lose people. And so, you know, that, that kind of goes, but, uh, the, the big secret or not a secret of the military, um, and I'll say the army, cause I've never been in any other branch. Um, but uh, the army is, is like, I've, I've always joked that the, the real slogan, and you hear a lot of guys joke about this. The real slogan of the army is hurry up and wait, you know, and I've always said that the, the, the second best slogan of the army is, uh, fun travel and adventure. So, cause people are like, why'd you join the army? I'm like for fun, travel and adventure. <laughs> and occasionally FTA also meant fuck the army. <laughs> Just so I can be like, fuck the army. Obviously that's why I joined. So I can hate, hate things, you know, but, um, yeah, but hurry up and wait. So it, it literally, you will wake up at four in the morning, you know, go to chow and everything to be at a place at six in the morning to, to like for nothing to happen until nine in the morning. And you're like, why did this occur? And I'm not talking about training. I'm talking about like, you know, during deployment or, you know, in, in like in, in regular instances, I'm like, we are adults. Why are we here three hours early? Nothing's happening. <laughs> so like, and so in the army, it was a lot of hurry up and wait. And especially around deployments and processing and those things. So I always had a book with me. Um, I, I've always loved to read ever since I was a kid. So I've most of my life spent 
uh, spent most of my life as a very voracious reader. And so I would always have a book or two with me. And whenever it was like, hurry up and wait, I could whip my book out and we could, you know, I could read and kind of escape everything that's going on around me. You know, guys asleep, guys be listening to music, playing games and, um, you know, lots of that. Lots of just three hours of sitting around on a bag or on a box on the ground thinking like, why is this my life? Fuck the army <laughs> and and going from there. So I'm pretty certain that's when I first read Henry V, uh, because by the time I arrived in Afghanistan, I was very familiar with the play already. And I was very familiar with the St. Crispin's Day speech. And um, I remember reading it. And I remember thinking about it later and, you know, back then, I don't remember if YouTube was already a big thing. I don't remember. So I remember reading it, though, and thinking like, you know, he's basically talking about what would eventually, you know, for for us, for, you know, me be Veterans Day. He's talking about Veterans Day, a day where these men who've gone to battle, who've done these things a day where people, you know, they, they'll be able to look at everyone and go, you know what, today is this day. And that person will be able to, you know, for that one day. And, and this is how I think of Veterans Day, right? It's that one day where like, a, you know, you as a veteran, as a, a person who has done and seen and experienced can kind of take off your shirt and show those scars and go, you know what, you want to, because to me, if we're going to honor veterans, we have to honor, you know, like... You have to honor the experience, you know, and if you have a brain at all, right, you should know that war is not pretty. It's not I can from firsthand experience. I'll tell anybody who wants to know war is not pretty and war is not fun, you know, but if we're going to honor the men and women who have been willing to do it, you have to honor the experience, right, you know, as a whole for better or for worse. And I feel like, you know, when I read this, I'm like, that's what he's talking about is a day where these men, you know, at time exclusively men. But now today, you know, men and women can can say, you know what, these scars, you know, this is the the totality of my experience. And if you want to honor me, this is what we're honoring. And, you know, and feel pride in that if, if they so choose. And personally, it took me a really long time to self-identify as a veteran. Um, to me, a, a veteran, you know, I, I mean, even today, a majority of veterans are over 60. But, you know, to me, a veteran was like, I think, you know, growing up, they were like old men who, you know, I mean, not as they're old even, but, you know, men who had been to Vietnam, occasionally Korean War, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and you met these gentlemen and, you know, they never really talked about anything you just people kind of like whisper or you know if you honored them at some event you know and they'd wave their little hat and and that was about it and you know and it was kind of like just just this idea that that person has seen some shit right that's why that's why they are that's why they're a veteran they see some shit and let's leave it at that and and you know to me it was never an identifier that i was i was like Oh, I'm a veteran. You know, I, I remember when people will be like, um, you know, oh man, you're a veteran. And I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, and, 
and even I mean, even still today, when people like thank me for my service and all like that, just weirds me out and it makes me very uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. Like you know what I'm saying, I I got on a plane, I got off, I did some shit, you know, willing or unwilling, and I came back. I was I made it back, and that I'm you know I always tell people I'm extremely thankful for that because a lot of people don't and a lot of people didn't. Um, when we deployed, um, especially when we deployed to Afghanistan, um, I don't remember, man, you know, it, it was, it was so strange. That was 2008. And, you know, I mean, I, I have almost countless stories of just silly shit from that deployment. Um, but you know, it's one of those things I remember just kind of every day being like, holy shit, I'm in this weird country i don't know what's going i don't know why i'm here i don't know what's going on and and a lot of that and i um for veterans day for me i often reflect uh, especially on that experience and i reflect on i remember i remember very vividly being told and it was in september because my birthday is september 10th so it was a few days after my birthday and i i remember you know, getting word because because I did initially when I got to Afghanistan, I did almost exclusively fob security, which was base security. And that basically entailed sitting in a truck, looking at a gate that was manned by Afghan soldiers. And the truck was on like a platform. So you would drive up on the platform so you could actually see over the wall that surrounded the base and you could see the road. And then you could see this gate and you'd sit there for eight hours, <laughs> stare, you know, like making sure that it was no funny business and that if anything happened, you know, you had a weapon, you had like your, your main weapon, you know, whatever that might be, um, you know, big, like a 50 cal, like a huge gun on top of the truck. And you had, you, you know, your, your personal weapons and your crew serve weapon, which is like a saw machine gun you know, kind of thing. And if there's any funny business, you know, your goal, your job was to defend the base, make sure no one gets through that gate, gets past you and causes any casualty or loss of life. And that was my job. And then um, moving forward, I actually became a member of, of two of the two combat teams that also were housed on the base. Um, one was the pro- police mentor team and the other was uh, like the Afghan army mentor team, basically. And, uh, for, for that, once that happened, um, okay, let me, you know what, actually, let me go back and explain how, like the circumstances that, uh, that the circumstances that, that surrounded me going to Afghanistan. So we're going to Afghanistan. That's a done. Okay. Uh, we're going through training. Our training was at Fort Jackson, if I remember correctly, right? So we're at Fort Jackson doing our deployment training. So the depl- deployment was a year. And if I recall correctly, it was two months of training, nine months in country, and then a, a month of kind of like everyone uh, getting getting back to a central point, out processing and getting us back to the United States. Like it, that that feels about right right now it might have even been three months of training i don't even remember like we were at fort jackson forever it seemed <laughs> like but uh we were going through training during the training i injured my hip 
I don't know how I injured it. I still, I don't know. I've never known the extent of the injury because one thing about the army is like, if like anything dealing with medical, it's slow and is bothersome. I should have gotten the hip looked at and dealt with at least probably then when it was injured, at least when we got back from Afghanistan. But I was so through with the military. I was just so through with everything at that point. They're like, you know, do you want to stay here and have your hip looked at? I'm like, no, fuck that. And fuck you people. I'm going home. And <laughs> that was it. Cause I knew, you know, if I stay, you know, they, we could be talking three months and me sitting around here before I even see it. You know, it's just bullshit. I'm, I'm dealing with this bullshit, but I, I injured my hip really bad. And it, it, it re reached a, a, a very low, low point per se. Uh, we were doing a road march because like for training, you have to do like these benchmarks and everyone has to pass the benchmarks to deploy. And one of the benchmarks is you have to do like these, like a five mile, 10 mile, whatever it is, ruck march. And you have to do it with a full rucksack and your full, what they call battle rattle, all your gear on. I'm a big dude. I've always been a big dude. So my full gear, even I know my, my vest was around 40 pounds or something like that. My gear exceeded. 60 70 pounds easily and so you know you, you were talking about putting on a, like almost a whole you know another person of weight on me and at the time i think i was two probably 250 so you know i'm i'm literally over the 300 mark with everything on me and uh, i remember a doctor saying that that probably probably is what caused the injury just running jumping in this you know with this added weight and at some point just a stress stress factor of some kind happens okay so we're doing this 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 training march and we're going and then it, like i knew the hip the hip had been hurting me i'm pushing through it and then it was a moment with literally my whole leg uh from the hip down goes numb my right leg and it, it's just, it's killing me, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm saying I, you got to get through it. You know, I, like it's the difference. Are you injured? Are you hurt? And I'm, I'm functioning as if I'm hurt. I'm going, I'm pushing, I'm working, you know, I don't want to let, you know, cause th there becomes a moment. There's a shift at some point where, you know, now we are relying on each other. And if I fail, I'm letting down my squad, my team, other people, you know, and that translates to when this comes to a life or death situation they need to be able to trust me uh, like i want to be able to trust them right if i don't trust you what the fuck i don't need you around and i need them to be able to trust me and so i was pushing and my leg went numb and literally at a given point i couldn't tell whether the leg was touching the ground or not like i was walking but i couldn't tell when i had a firm footing and i fell and and it, it was killing me like this it's just my leg the the leg was numb completely the hip was killing me and the sergeant comes and he goes what's wrong and i'm like yo the leg is numb you know i've been i've been pushing through this but it's something serious you know I, it's serious it's got to be serious because i can't feel my leg and he and you know and, and you never know if what people what shenanigans might be going on with people trying to do and so at one point i think i i, I still believe to this day he was poking me with something but he was looking at me and he was asking me these questions like, well, what hurts? You know, how long has this been going on? And then he go and he's like looking at me and he kind of got this facial expression. He goes, oh, this is serious. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I just told you. But I think like he was like poking me with something and was like, I, I was not registering. Like, I cannot feel that leg. And so they said, well, we got to get you to the doctor. Take me to the doctor. You know, they, they I don't even know. They didn't want to do an MRI. Didn't have the capability to do an MRI. So they put me on like desk desk duty you know take a week off okay now we're in the middle of deployment training you know and so while i'm sitting behind literally sitting behind a desk doing nothing all day these guys are all out 
doing training. And I remember they did land navigation, which I missed and some other training things. So also in the midst of this, other guys are either getting injured or having issues where they can't deploy. So our numbers to deployment are actually dwindling. And there's a certain number you have to have to, you know, you have to have for the unit to deploy. And so it came to a point where I rested for a week and my command came to me and they said, you know, how are you feeling? You know, they, you know, they, they, they were very pleasant about everything. They go, can, can you finish training? And I, and I was kind of like, and, and they, they were very honest with me. They said, look, if you can't finish training, you can't deploy. And he said, and we are losing, right? We're losing people and we're losing numbers and we need numbers. And there's a variety of jobs that we need covered when we get in country. And so they said, if you can finish the training and get on the plane, we will get you a desk job when we get to Afghanistan. And I was like, and my, I remember my ears perked up because I was like, holy shit, I'll take that in a hot minute. I had no desire to be a war hero. I had no dreams about doing this or doing that. <laughs> and so I was like, word. And then they were like, look, we just need you to get on the plane. When we get there, you'll have an admin job, right? You're very capable. You're a bright guy. Do some fucking admin. But we need you to get on that plane. I was like, done. Okay, I'll you know, I'll get on that plane. Because obviously uh, another fear of mine was being in country and being injured, right? Because that's just 50 shades of fucked up. And so I I, uh, I, I did train. I'll never forget this because I actually had to do my land navigation with a unit from, I, I if I remember correctly, it was Marion, Illinois. It was a um, infantry unit from Southern Illinois. I, I believe it was Marion, but if it, it, I... I I apologize to anyone uh, if it was not, but super nice guys. And, and, <laughs> and infantry is, is a different breed of soldier <laughs> than anybody else. So I remember them being like, Oh, you know, and they were like, are you going to do infantry with the, with the infantry dudes? You're going to do the land navigation with those guys. And then after that, cause that we were getting close to the end of the training. So they're like, you do the land nav, you need to do the uh, ruck march and that's it. Like that was basically, but those obviously for, for someone with an injured hip, you're talking about two things. Cause the land nav, you're going all over the place to find these coordinates and points. And then for the ruck march, you just have to march with all this weight on your, on your body. So, okay, do it. Now, what I figured out for whatever reason that when I would walk, if I hunched over, which for whatever reason took the weight I mean, directly off the hips. But if I hunched over, the pain would, sub- would subside and I could walk relatively okay and pain-free. But the minute I would get completely erect, it was just shooting pains all over the hip and leg and the leg would start to go numb. And so I do the land nav with these, you know, in the infantry guys, I say, guys, look, and it was actually another soldier who had missed the land nav with our unit as well. So it's two of us. And he was like a, like, you know, physical machine. <laughs> so he, he didn't have any physical disabilities or anything. So he's like, you know, raring to go. And I'm like, look, guys, I'm injured. I got to get through this, but let's not get crazy. You know, and, and infantry guys, they like, they don't know anything other than getting crazy. So they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We got you. So I'm, I'm walking like, like, like a hunchback. I'm walking with like literally like with my back, back at a 45 degree angle to my hips and like kind of like hunched over. But they were super nice about it. But like, like, Infantry dudes are crazy. So I remember at one point 
they decide because there are when you're doing things like a land nav course, there are instructors who are out there making sure that you're like you're finding the points you're supposed to find. So these guys are like, well, you know what? They expect us to go this way. So we'll cut around and cut through. I'm like, this is not war. This is just a land nav course. Don't get, you know, but like they, they were doing they want to do their thing and they want to have fun. And I actually had a great time with them. I'll, I'll never forget. And it was funny because me and, and the guy, other guy who had missed with our unit, we're like, we're black. And the, 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 the infantry unit are all white guys from Southern Illinois. <laughs> like some of them with these like deep Kentucky accents. And I just remember like, oh my God, they're crazy. But at one point, we, we get to where the land nav observers are. And there's an outhouse, like a, there's like a porta potty. And one of the observers is in the porta potty and the infantry guys are like, yo, let's tip it. And I'm like, oh shit, these, <laughs> these dudes are, these dudes are on some new, different shit. Like, I don't even understand. And so they do, they decide to like tip this porta john with this observer in it. So they tip the porta john and then we're like off into the woods and I'm like waddling. <laughs> my stuff on i'm like trying to keep up like oh my god i'm gonna die <laughs> my leg's gonna fall off and and it was just craziness but we finished the land that because they're infantry dudes and that's just that's nothing to them so we finished the land nav course um and i don't even remember how long it took yeah i think and i still think they actually finished it faster than like anybody else did you know because they're, they're, they're beasts it is what it is so then we did the ruck march and the ruck march was very similar um, I, I, I found that if I walked at this, this kind of hunchbacky, like 45 degree angle, the, the weight off the hips and the pain would subside and I could go. And then the weight of like the rucksack kind of just propelled me forward. Like I was just kind of like shuffling and, um, I did it. I, I did it. I got halfway. I sat for maybe even an hour and got back into the game and there was a sergeant and I'll actually say his name, uh, because he was always an amazing person to me. I always thought he was a great leader. He was also a Chicago police department officer. And I always had the utmost respect for him, but his name was Raphael Davis. And I haven't talked to him in years. I'm pretty sure we're friends on Facebook, but he was always just amazing. And he actually walked with me during the, the ruck march. And I, you know, I was just in so much discomfort, so much pain, anxiety. And he was always, he was like, you're good. You got it, McGill. You're good, man. We're good. We're going to get through this together. And he was just amazing. As, and not to say that the other guys in my unit weren't, but you know, uh, I was very fortunate to be in a unit where everyone was, was for the most part, very friendly, very nice. All guys from Chicago. And, you know, but I'll never forget that he especially, stuck out, you know, for helping me during that period of time. And, and I finished it and I, that was it. And, you know, I was eligible to deploy and I did. And we got to Bagram Airfield. I don't remember how much time after, you know, you do all your processing, your paperwork, everything. And we get to Bagram um, and, you know, you're going through everything. And I'll never forget there was a request to, uh, for some soldiers to go to a base that needed a replacement for soldiers who were leaving the country and they're you know and they were like you know why you guys are we're still trying to figure everything out with you guys but we need an immediate group of guys to go and fill in for these dudes to do base security you'll remember that i said my main my first job and main job in afghanistan was doing base security 
So they said, you know, this is this bass called Fob Rushmore. It's a really nice bass. And these guys are going to be leaving soon. And we got to get somebody there to replace them. It'll only be temporary. And then you guys will go to wherever your normal bases are supposed to be to do your normal jobs. Right. And I remember saying, like, I got an admin job. So let's not get crazy. I go, you know, saying yada, yada. So I remember Sergeant Davis. Um. He, he was like one of the first people to volunteer. He goes, yeah, I'll go. It's not a big deal. You know, a week, week or two. That's fine. You know, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I was, I really liked Sergeant Davis. So I remember when he, you know, when he, uh, volunteered, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll go too. What the fuck? Cool. You know, it's only for a week or two. Bet. So, uh, all things said, we get convoyed to Fob Rushmore, forward operating base, uh, Fob, F-O-B. Rushmore and we get there and we are literally just doing like I said gate guard sitting in a truck watching a gate that the Afghans are actually Afghan army soldiers are actually manning and you just you know watching to make sure that they're doing everything correctly right because part of uh the American president at the time was kind of getting the Afghan army and the Afghan police up to a point where they could be self-sufficient so you know are they doing everything correctly is there anything you can kind of help them on so on and so forth and Long story short, we're there. And then one day, I'll, I'll never forget, someone comes out. I can't remember who exactly it was, comes and goes, you know what, you guys, and I, I believe it was the colonel on base, but he goes, you guys are doing a great job and we truly appreciate you. And we're like, oh, thank you. And he goes, and I got good news and bad news. <laughs> and we're like, okay. He goes, the good news is that this is one of the best bases in Afghanistan. It's got a great chow hall, which a chow hall makes or breaks a base, right? So we, and we, we were very fortunate. We had a great child hall. We had cooks who were all from like, I think they were like from like Alabama or maybe Louis, you know, like Louisiana, Alabama. They, they just, they knew good cooking. <laughs> like they knew how to throw down in the kitchen. And, uh, we were very lucky in that we actually had contractors on base who were super nice guys who worked really well with us and such like, you know, it was a great base. The, the leadership was all super pleasant. And at the time, we were actually in a very Western friendly area. So we didn't have, you know, there were bases who got attacked all the time. We weren't seeing that. I still remember the first attack that we experienced while there, but it hadn't happened yet. And so we we're like, oh, well, you know, he goes, well, the, you know, the good news is you're here in this great place. He goes, the bad. And, and he goes, and the good news is you get to stay. And we we're like, huh? And he's like, well, you know, if you were looking to go somewhere else, that's the bad news. You guys are going to stay here. kind of thing. He was like, you know, he was very like pleasant about it. He goes, and your bags are already on the way. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm like, but, sir, um, I had an admin job and like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, he goes, you know. Sitting at you know, sitting at the gate is kind of like sitting at a desk and you're good to go. And I was like, oh, you know what? He's totally right. Fuck it. I'll roll with it and we'll leave it at that. And um, that was how it started. And then uh, more guys showed up. Things shifted around a little bit. And um, at one point I ended up on uh, the PMT team, the police mentor team. And uh, that was that was it. And I'll never forget because I was on this team and they're going out off base. And that was something I, if I never left the base, I was, they call, they call those people who never leave the base fobbits. And I was totally okay <laughs> being a dude who never left the base. Wasn't what happened. So I, um, it was one of those situations to go, you know, what job? Do you want to do? Because in a vehicle, there, there, especially like we got there, they said the Humvees. If you ever seen a Hummer, 
a Humvee. It's very basic, right? Four doors and then a hatch on top. And it was like, so there's five people in the truck. Right? So it's like, you know, which position do you want? And I'm like, look, I got this bum hip. So in ideally, the, the person who's in charge of the truck sits in the front passenger seat. The two back seats are guys who, are, who can get out of the truck at any moment, uh, usually for defense purposes. But those two guys can get out. They have to be mobile. The driver is the driver. He never leaves the vehicle. Under no circumstances should your driver get out the vehicle uh, unless that thing's about to blow or is on fire. And then the gunner. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? I got this bust hip. I got this bum hip. I ain't trying to be like running around and everything. And sometimes you would, if you're driving, you're in a convoy, if you have to stop for anything, even if it's like to take a pee, sometimes you stop to eat. I mean, like, you know, cause you know, we have to stop whatever reason we need to stop. Okay. Stop. So the guys in the backseat get out and they do a perimeter. You know, you, you, you're scanning, looking, you know, is anything suspicious? Are any people coming? Anything, you know? And so I'm like, look, I, I ain't trying to be, you know, running and dashing and dashing with this weird hip. I'll drive. Excellent. I remember getting into the, at the time, the Humvee as a driver and we, we left that base for the first time. And I just remember being wholly terrified. And you always hear these stories, you know, they say like, when you hit an ID, the person who definitely dies is the driver. <laughs> the ID is always under his seat. And I was just like terrified and horrified at every bump that everything we came across. I was just like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. You know, I was brand new and it is what it is. But I remember after that, the first or first one or two convoys times we left the base, I said, yo, I can't do this again. <laughs> I have a heart attack long before anything else happens in this joint. I cannot drive. I can't do it. And so the next time, because very few people wanted to actually be gunners. And the gunner is just like in the movies. Um, if you ever seen the movie Hurt Locker, it's that guy who's like literally hanging out the top of the truck. Um, and very few people want that job because at the time, a worry for gunners were snipers. Snipers always tried to snipe the gunners. And to me, though, it was one of those things where I felt way more comfortable doing that job. And so I ended up as a gunner on that team. And then there was another team on base and I ended up at times being a gunner for that team. And that was, that team was the one in which um, I was involved in my uh, first um, and most elaborate um, engagement with the enemy and why I got my combat action badge. And if, if you've been in the military, you know people in the military, right? If you're infantry, you get your CIB, your com combat infantry badge. And infantry, that's like a, a thing, right? I want to get my CIB. That means that you're in direct contact with the enemy, you know? And, and like, I don't need that. And so, but if you're not infantry, it's a combat action badge. And so, like, um, we, we got into a thing. And long story short, right? The thing ended up with IEDs exploding, with bullets flying, um, and in the end, I I was able to get my combat action badge, and I did that, um, and which was unfortunate. And I I went to Afghanistan with no desire to ever leave the base, to ever have any true stories to tell, other than maybe getting a paper cut. And I remember on Christmas of so Christmas of two thousand eight, I believe, I left the base no less than three times because we convoyed to um 
uh, FRT Sharana, I think was the name of it. I'm, I'm horrible with, with the names and such, but it was the, the big base in our area. And that's where the mail went to. And I remember on Christmas going at least three times to pick up mail because we just could not fit enough in our vehicles. And we went, uh, to get mail for guys and, and the, our base had two females on it. And, <laughs> and so all guys other than that, um, and, and going to get mail. And I remember going and then we kind of like sit around and like, you know, we'll go again because there was so much mail in the mail room and going and getting more mail and trying to stick as many packages as we could into the the Humvees and the trucks and everything. And then, you know, a third time, like, you know what, we'll go again. But the big base, Sharana, had a a coffee bean on it. It also was getting a Pizza Hut, but it didn't have a Pizza Hut when we when we were there, but they had a coffee bean. And if I remember, I don't remember if Sharana had, they had a, a chow hall, huge chow hall. They had the coffee bean. They might even have like a, a little something else too. Can't remember, but you know, you could go and basically get Starbucks. So like every time we go, I'm like, yo, let's go. And I would get some cat, you know, you get like, uh, like a latte or, you know, whatever, um, which was, you know, in Afghanistan, anything that's like a creature comfort that makes you feel a little bit closer to home is, is it. And it was great. And I loved it. But, you know, that was that was Afghanistan for me. And um, while there, we we lost. I don't remember how many people total, but I I remember the first two people in that deployment we lost, which was in September, like I said. Um, and it was Jason Vasquez and Josh Harris. Um, and they were in my unit. I'd known them for a few years. And I remember um, hearing about their deaths and being devastated. And I, But I remember also just this voice in my head going, say, this shit is real. Like, if you didn't think, if you didn't know it was real before, right? Because, you know, there's something about hearing about IEDs and hearing about this and you know and I think even because at the time I was I was oh man how was I I was in like my late 20s you know but you know you get you know you get a little, enough testosterone you get a little bit of the Superman syndrome and such but I remember uh, you know because they put you on um, they try to get your information as quick as possible but then they put you on like a little bit of a media blackout so you you know you, they don't want you calling home and telling you telling everyone uh, you know spreading news or f- spreading false news and so but I remember when they pulled us they, they grouped us together and they said look we've lost some soldiers and you know long story short here here's who we lost um, and just being completely devastated and oftentimes my mind on Veterans Day goes back to those people um, and, and you know the old saying goes some all gave some and some gave all and, you know, for me, for Veterans Day, it's a time to reflect not only on my experiences, but on those people who gave everything, right, uh, for whether you want to say it was for freedom or whether it was, you know, for some grand ideals of democracy or whatever you want to say. Um, I, I try to stay away from all that at this juncture in the game. But please, huge shout out to uh, Joshua Harris. Um, who died um, during my deployment in Afghanistan, uh, Jason Vasquez. Uh, they were both in my unit, and I was friends with them. 
um, Scott Stream. So Scott was actually a part of the group from the Southern Illinois. We actually met and we talked during that training I was doing with those infantry soldiers. He was one of them. Uh, we connected and talked a, a, a bit because he was actually a history teacher. And at the time, I still hadn't finished school. I was getting my degree in social studies, secondary education with a focus on history. And I remember still being a little insecure about that. And he, I remember having this great conversation. He goes, you know what? It's great that you went into social sciences and not history specifically. He goes, it, it's, you know, social sciences makes you just way more flexible and it's going to make you you know way easier for you to find a job and and he was so supportive and we had these great talks about history i'm like what do you love you know what do you love teaching you know what do you, and, and it was just great and i was very upset when when months later i had heard of his death and also uh simone robinson was a soldier she was in uh, the same armory as me and i had interactions with her i'd spoken to her you know i i can't remember if she was a payroll clerk or something but i remember something on the admin tip and so we just kind of crossed paths a lot in the, in the armory and you know just hey how you doing kind of thing we you know we weren't buddies or anything like that um but i, I knew who she was and you know you, you see people long enough you get to know things about them and get to talk to them and i was very upset uh, to hear of her death as well and there were other soldiers who, um, whose names i didn't know or i didn't know personally but all of that um, really occupies my mind on Veterans Day. And I know that was a long, long way to get to um, saying that I hope all the veterans out there have a wonderful day. I hope you um, are doing well. I hope that if you are not doing well or if you're struggling, uh please reach out um, for help. And that's okay. Whether it's out to another soldier or whether it's out to another veteran, you know, to, to a family or whether it's out to a professional or the VA or whoever, you know. Um, one thing I've, I've come to strongly identify with is this idea that uh, me and other veterans are all in this thing together. Uh, it took me a long time to ever use the term PTSD in relation to myself. But I remember very specifically what what it was like for me when I came home from Afghanistan and I was not doing well. And I've, I've freely said that for many years, you know, I had a hard time returning home uh, and transitioning back into my life. And it wasn't good. It wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, I, I consider myself very lucky to have made it through that experience because um, there were moments in it when I wasn't sure I was going to get through it. And I did. And I, I've had um, friends who didn't get through that experience for one reason or another. And so um, my hat comes off to all the veterans out there um, and to the families of veterans, uh, both here and no longer with us. And yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say beyond that, but thank you all for what you've done. Um, because you, you were, you, you, you were willing to take, you know, to, to put it all on the line when a lot of people aren't. And I, you know, I can appreciate that. <laughs> I can appreciate that wholeheartedly. And, um, you know, that's that's a cool thing. 
You know, that's a really cool thing for better or for worse. And so, yes. So I wanted to take that time for Veterans Day to offer these thoughts and remembrances and to say that, you know, I think for the first time uh, since leaving the military, I'm very comfortable identifying as a veteran and feeling a sense of pride on this day. And so today I'm going to take some time to reflect and to, you know, puff my chest a little bit because, you know, I think I said to someone jokingly, I was like, you show me some goddamn respect. I'm a veteran. <laughs> and she started laughing. I'm like, I deserve respect. Damn it. I've done things. I've been places, <laughs> you know, like, come on now. And she was laughing and, you know, but, you know, I'm going to take some time to, to, to find some enjoyment and that fact and to show my scars and say these wounds, these scars I had on St. Crispin's day. So, um, and that's okay. As you know, if, if no other day of the year, because the rest of the other 364 days of the year, I'm like a veteran who veteran, what, but to, you know, this is, this is our day, um, to maybe tell some tales and have some remembrances and show respect to, to each other. Um, no, if no one else. So that's it. Um, thank you guys for listening. This is a bonus episode, and um, I'm not even gonna cut to a to a to a, to a post roll anything. I'm just gonna say thank you for listening. Um, if you know a veteran who would find some value in listening to this, please share it with them. Um, please check uh, us out on social media. You can check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Um, all Snapchat, all of that's going to be down in the episode notes. I will also post some any articles that come to me um, in those episode notes and such. And yeah, that's about it. Um, thank you so much. If you would like to respond, if you have something to say, you have questions, please hit us up on social media. You can slide into our DMs. That's beautiful and we appreciate it. We also have the email being silly in the city at gmail.com. And we also have a phone number. I don't remember the phone number off the top of my head and I'm not going to waste time trying to find it. The phone number will be down in the episode notes. Just scroll down and you'll see that phone number. And if you got a really nice smartphone like the rest of, you know, like some people do, you can push it and it'll tell you, do you want to call that number and call that number, leave a voicemail and, you know, and please, like if you leave a voicemail, uh, feel free to, if you want to say your name, if you don't want to leave your name, that's fine. And you can also let us know if you are comfortable with us sharing that audio on the podcast or if you want to keep it private and that's fine too. And we'll just kind of talk about it and, you know, someone said versus letting that audio be heard because I don't want to violate anyone's privacy or anyone's comfortability. We are family here and I want us to have a family vibe and, you know, friendly vibe and, and keep it, keep it all good. So thank you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Veterans Day and that is it. Be good. Do good. These heroes are dead. They died for liberty. They died for us. They are at rest. They may or may not sleep in the land they made free, 
under the flag they rendered stainless, under the solemn pines, the sad hemlocks, the tearful willows, and the embracing vines. They sleep beneath the shadows of the clouds, careless alike of sunshine or of storm, each in the windowless place of rest. Earth may run red with other wars, they are at peace. In the midst of battle, in the roar of conflict, they found the serenity of death. I have one sentiment for soldiers living and dead. Cheers for the living, tears for the dead. Robert G. Ingersoll. <laughs>